0: And if you've got your church pew Bibles, if you could turn to the New Testament, it's the back of the Bible, uh, it's in Colossians, and it's chapter one. Unfortunately, I haven't got a current church copy. Someone shout the number of the page if you get there, so we know we're on the right page. Colossians one, which is page Thank you very much, Rebecca. Page 197 at the back of the Bible. Verse 15 says these words. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. by making peace through his blood on the cross. May God open our hearts, our minds, and our souls to his truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're starting a new series, Who is Jesus? And it'll be running through the next four weeks so that um, uh, next week Barry will be looking at another aspect, Mike then the following week, and then Barry again at the end. And we're exploring who Jesus is. Now, many people have some funny views about who Jesus is. So if I can get this uh, set up here, we can maybe have a look at some of the funny views that come around. Many people say, well, he was just a good moral teacher. The uh, Famous atheist Richard Dawkins has come out with that. In fact, in a recent book that was published last week, he accepted the fact that Jesus really lived, but only allowed him to be a moral teacher. Jesus never claimed to be a good moral teacher, and would be horrified to know that that's what people think. But of course, the communists reject Jesus in any aspect of him. However, they can't defeat the great teaching he gave So what they do is if uh, he can't join us, we will make him uh, sort of one of us. And so they claim that Jesus was a revolutionary. And that's what the uh, South American communists did in particular. They tried to adopt Jesus as a mascot. In the uh, 20th century, uh, we tried to make Jesus here in Britain like The idols that we look up to, the celebrities, the famous stars, the ones who win Britain's Got Talent. And so uh, Lloyd Webber and um, Tim Rice wrote the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. And it claims, they said, to be written a view of Jesus viewed through the eyes of Judas Iscariot. Well, that's not going to give you a very clear picture. But of course, everybody in every culture tries to mold Jesus into its own image. And this famous painting is called Ecce Homo. And that means in Latin, behold the man. The one in white is Pontius Pilate addressing the crowds, pointing to Jesus and saying, behold the man. In other words, Jesus is just a man. Jesus did not claim any of these things. He called himself the son of man to identify with man, but we know there was more to it. And C.S. Lewis looked at some of these claims and he particularly took note of what many professors were saying about Jesus being a good moral teacher, a great moral teacher. And he said these words, this is the sort of thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And so, the phrase, liar, lunatic, or Lord was was stirred around. And you'll find that in C.S. Lewis's great book, Mere Christianity. These are the things that men say about him, human beings. What I'm going to do now is take you on a coach tour and discover not what people thought of him, but what does God's word say about him? What does God think of him? And what does the Bible say uh, about him? Now, this is going to be quite um, uh, quick, let's say, because you're in my coach now, and I'm going to be pointing out on the left-hand window, you're going to see this and that, and on the right-hand side, you can see that, and just over there, you can see this, but we're not stopping. There's no chance to get off and walk around and feel the ruins and touch them, Barry and Mike will be doing that in the coming weeks, but I'm trying to give you an overview of what the Bible says, or particularly the Old Testament says, who Jesus is and what it was all about. And uh, I'm going to walk you through the story of the Old Testament bit by bit, but we'll only have time, as I say, to stop at a few brief places. And we'll start at the beginning. And you know this so well, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, etc. And it says, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we have God, but we also have the spirit of God. So hold on, have we got two gods here? Let's read on. In John's gospel, it puts it this way. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The Word, Spirit, God. We've got three gods here. I don't understand this. And it says that through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been. Then it says that this Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only one, uh, the only begotten Son. So we have the word. God, the the creator, the father, the, the son, and the spirit. We've got three gods, have we? Or what? The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and again it reiterates the reading I gave you there, that all things were created through him and for him. Why did God create the world? For the son, Jesus so let's do the maths here and let's see if I can get this right here's a phrase that I learnt many years ago from a very great preacher and I want you to repeat it with me and see if you can get your head around it yes Barry once said Roy's going to show you about the Holy Trinity here goes it is more than one within the one to make the one think about that more than one but yet Within the one to make the one. Now, when I was at school, I did my sums, and they go like this one plus one plus one makes three. But hold on a minute. More than one within the one to make the one. One plus one plus one. How can it make one? I think I've got my mathematics slightly wrong because what the Bible is saying there is but one it says in the Hebrew Shema the Lord the Lord God is one Lord and you shall love the Lord with all your heart and soul and strength but here we have the sum is wrong let's make the sum right that works and here we discover that Jesus the Son is fully God It's not one-third plus one-third plus one-third because you can't have a third of a God. That doesn't work. It's one plus one plus one. It's one times one times one. And that one tabernacled amongst us. That's what the word lived amongst us in John's gospel is. He came down and he became uh, like us. It tells us this fact, that Jesus was not born at Christmas. He was not born on Christmas Day. That's a truth anyhow, because Jesus was never born on the 25th of December. That's impossible, but I'll talk, about, talk to you about that later. But the thing is, he, did, he was not born at Bethlehem because this verse and these verses remind us that Jesus existed before time existed. He didn't start birth 2019 years ago. He pre existed, he was always an existent. Jesus is the pre-existent eternal son from eternity to eternity. Now we've got that as our background and that helps us to understand who Jesus is. At a moment, he stepped into our time and allowed himself to become human like us. But still in himself, he was eternal. And that's why the Jews had such a struggle with him. So he's the pre-existent one. Time passed by when creation was formed in which Jesus we see was involved and along came Adam and Eve. They were created but also there was another created being called Satan and in the garden of Eden he tempted them and he led them to disobey God, to turn their back on God and when God came calling, when God came into the garden he did not find them. God had to ask a question of man. Adam, or man, where are you? Adam had hidden himself as at Eve. And when God punished them and Satan, he said these words to Satan. I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Who was that offspring that was being talked about? Now this is the very third chapter of the Bible. It says, he will wound or strike your head, you shall wound his heel. When you strike and destroy the head, you've destroyed the person. You've destroyed the source. When you attack the heel, you are grasping at something that will not seriously wound for, forever. What happens here is that God, right at the outset, was warning Satan that a descendant of woman, which would be Jesus, would destroy his power, which he did on the cross. This is a prediction that some uh, generations to come, a descendant of woman, would deal with a very sin problem that had just been introduced by disobedience. And so we discover this prediction way back in the start of the Bible of a sin bearer, of someone to take human sin, would be coming along. Let's carry on on our journey. Because if you keep going down the descendants of Adam and Eve, you come across some people quickly in the book of Genesis who were friends with God. They walked and talked with him. They spent time with him. And above all, they obeyed and served him and followed his directions. And one such was Abraham. Now, Abraham grew up here in Iraq, not far from Baghdad in the town of Ur. And Abraham was told, go to Canaan. It says up there, go from your country, your people, and your father's household, the land I show you, Canaan is over here. And of course, the direct route is from there, over there. And if you've ever been there or seen it or flown across it, it's barren, arid desert. There's no way you'd make it across there. The sensible route was to go up the Tigris Valley and the Euphrates and then down through into Lebanon and into Canaan. And Abraham did Just that. He took his wife and family and off he went. And God then promised him several things. Look at the sky and count the stars. So shall your offspring be. Again, a prediction of a son or a child to come who would be part of a magnificent family. But more than that, to this offspring I will give this land. The word offspring in Hebrew is the word that we would translate seed. And that is someone who was promised sometime before. But there was a problem. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren. She couldn't have children. So Sarah would have said, that's never going to happen. That can't be. And sure enough, a little while later, God came down and spoke to Abraham again one of the several times. This time, there were three men who came, described sometimes as angels. But when the three men spoke, it didn't say the man said to Abraham. It says, the Lord spoke to Abraham. Three, the Lord, more than one within the one to make the one. God appeared to Abraham and he predicted, I will return to you. And I will, at the appointed time next year, Sarah will have a son. And Sarah laughed. She overheard it. Because if you look carefully, Sarah's hiding in the background there. This is Abraham and this is uh, Ishmael. And so the three visitors predicted again that there would be a promised son for Sarah. And sure enough, a year later, Isaac was born, the promise was kept. Now, last week you might remember I made a point about prophecies and predictions that you get in the Bible. You get the now and you get then. You get what happened at that time, and then you get the future. There are always two dimensions, if not three dimensions, to God's promises. So God promised a son to Abraham and, Isaac, uh, Abraham, um, and, and Sarah, that, that would be Isaac, the then but the promise extended to your seed that still looked forward to a child of abraham who would be born which we know to be jesus now you love the gene- genealogies of the bible i'm sure if you get into the book of chronicles you love the first 10 chapters that's so on begot so on begot so on begot so on well i'm going to take you through a little uh, genealogy here but it's all right it doesn't hurt As you can see, we've got the name of Moses here because Abraham had several descendants, Isaac, and then his son, Jacob, had 12 boys which all became the 12 tribes of Israel. And 400 years after Jacob, Moses was born. So as we pass on this coach, we're further down the road, 400 years more, and we find that Moses came into being and he was a great prophet. And Moses having brought the Ten Commandments, but he gave all sorts of laws to the Israelites, laid the foundation for the behavior of the children of Israel, not just for them, but the Jews still behave in accordance with the way Moses dictated uh, several thousand years ago, 3,000 years ago. And the thing is that Moses, as a prophet, predicted another prophet would come. I will raise up a prophet like you from the uh, Jews, the, the, the Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell everything I command him, and I will call to account anyone who does not listen to the words of that prophet. The Jews were looking forward to a great prophet, even greater than Moses. And when John the Baptist came, they said to him, Are you that prophet? They were referring to the predicted prophet that Moses was going to, uh, that Moses had, had predicted would happen. And uh, John said, No, I'm not. But then pointed to Jesus and said, he is. Abraham also had some other descendants. If you look, Moses had a brother called Aaron. Now Aaron wasn't a prophet, but he became the first high priest. And the whole religious uh, format of the temple and the sacrifices and everything came through uh, uh, Aaron. And Aaron was the first of of the priests. Now, Aaron didn't predict who his successor might be, but what Aaron did do was enact sacrifices day after day, year after year, month after month. And do you know what? Those sacrifices could never, never take away sin. Not one of them could. Now the Jews would go up and offer their sacrifice They'd kill a lamb and say I'm guilty I'm a sinner this lamb is taking my sins and kill the lamb. But it's a lamb it's not a human being. A human being sin cannot be taken by a lamb. A priest who's going through those ceremonies is only giving a picture of something bigger and that something bigger was yet to come. Those sacrifices we're all pointing to, so, to someone who'd be a much better priest still to come. High priests were men in all their weaknesses, but God appointed the son who was perfect forever. And he is able to save completely those who come through him because he always lives to intercede for them. The high priest had a, um, a, a, a band on his chest, as you can see, with 12 stones. He constantly bore the Sins and prayers for the Israelites on them. This passage tells us that Jesus was a much greater priest and he dealt with sin and died for sin once and for all. What's the difference between a prophet and a priest? A prophet is on the Godward side of man, he gives God's word to human beings. A priest is on the manward side of God, he presents prayers and sacrifices to God. Jesus was both the great prophet prophetic spokesman and he was also the great priestly servant in him and in his life he pulled all these pictures together so that's it we're there no we're not there's one other old testament character I need to to get through to you and of course king David because he descended slightly differently through Judah and King David predicted something else. The great psalmist, um, some of whose words we've been singing this morning, said these things. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. You will break them with a rod of iron. Because he was predicting that an anointed one would come. The word anointed one in Hebrew is Messiah. And so the Jews constantly looked forward to this leader, not a, just a political leader, they were looking forward for that, but someone who would physically bring together the whole kingdom of Israel as the, their, their king and as their Messiah. And Isaiah predicted that there would be unto us will be born a son and he will reign in David's throne as king and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. And so what the picture here is, The Jews were thirdly looking for a Messiah, a king, who would bring everything together, destroy wickedness, and make God's people the righteous people on earth alone. So all of these things of prophet, of priest, of king, were being sought for in the Old Testament. And if you read it, you'll find it. Jesus is actually the one who fulfilled each of these. And the pictures all fall together in him. The very last one to show you in the Old Testament was a teenager. Here she is, and her name is Mary. And God visited her through the angel Gabriel and said, you're going to have a child, a son, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Mary was descended from David, King Messiah. It was all coming together. But look, it said uh, that his kingdom will never end. And when her husband, Joseph, was approached by the same angel, he was told, you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He was also going to be not just a king, but going to be the people's saviour. He would save them from their sins. The son of Eve, the son of Abraham, the son of David, and the one who descended through was going to become your personal savior. And the whole thing comes together in Jesus. And each of these things, if you trace them through the Old Testament, pick out there's someone coming here he's coming, and it's Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, I hope you get the alliteration, but he was the pre existent Son of God. He was the predicted sin bearer. He was the promised Son, the one who would be a prophet, a priestly servant, a powerful sovereign, but above all, a personal Savior, if you will come and if you will accept. To you and me, he can be your sin bearer he died on the cross to take your sin he can be your savior to save you today and walk with you and lead you across life's journey to its bitter end and beyond and he can be your sovereign to in the second coming when he returns to bring you to be with him forever who is Jesus this is just a flavor of what the bible shows of him I'm sorry if it's been a little bit um, rushed, or I'm sorry if the cook's tour hasn't stopped to sit down and think through some of these issues, but Barry's going to look at what it means, what Jesus did as the prophet, the uh, spokesman for God. Uh, uh, Mike's going to look at what David, uh, what King David and, and others uh, predicted about Jesus as the king, as our sovereign, and um, then Barry will complete it. And Show us how Jesus is Lord of all and brings us together with him. I hope you find some of that interesting. But I hope that when you read the Old Testament, you don't get stuck and bogged down in the details of the, uh, the sacrifices and the, the other things. Yes, do, do understand them. But see Jesus in them. There was a book written called Christ in All the Scriptures by A.M. Hodgkin. And actually, it's called by A.M. Hodgkin. She wrote the book 100 years ago, and she didn't dare put her name Alice at the front because people wouldn't read it if it was a woman who wrote it. But it's a terrific book and circulated for 100 years and has actually got this sort of teaching in it, finding Christ in every book of the Bible. And if you read and discover, you'll be amazed at how Jesus touches and is exposed on every page of Scripture. I hope that gives you some help But I hope that we all realize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is our Savior. The image of the invisible God. That when you see Jesus, you've captured God. But when you have him in your heart, you have him within. And you've discovered your God, your Savior for yourself.